I wanna invite you to turn with me um, in your Bibles to John chapter 15. Um, tonight, I have prepared somewhat of a Grace five-year birthday um, sermon for you. By the way, you might not have noticed this, but every year at this time of year when our church turns another year old, I either preach from Ephesians chapter three or John chapter 15. And tonight is the John 15 year. So if you're like me and you happen to have a great deep affection for John's gospel, tonight's your night. I think John's gospel is maybe my favorite book of the Bible. So John chapter 15, I'm gonna begin reading or be reading um, verses one to 11. Um, As has been our custom, we will pair um, this reading of scripture with another reading from the opposite testament. So in this case, Jeremiah chapter 31. So listen carefully to these words from the prophet Jeremiah, and then we'll put those in conversation um, with the gospel of John. Jeremiah 31. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you. And you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, You shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. And then from the Gospel of John. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy 
may be in you and that your joy may be full. So the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, for the first time this year, we ask sincerely that in this moment, that you and your kindness and mercy would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, in that prayer, so that by the power of your spirit, you would shine light on these words in your word. Lord, that you would shine light on the words that I have prepared. Lord, and that you would use these words, great effect, Lord, in our hearts and our souls, and to give us great hope. In our Lord Jesus, we pray, and it's in his name, amen. So one of the really kind strokes of God's providence in the history of Grace Fellowship is that Mandy and I had Millie, my four-year-old daughter, at the same time we had Grace Fellowship. Some of you guys have seen the Jim Gaffigan bit where he talks about having four kids and he says, here's what it's like to have four kids. Imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. In our case, it was imagine we were drowning with our two boys and someone, being God, handed us a baby and a church plant. (laughs) So let me tell you a couple things about Millie. Millie is sweet. She's cute. She's like four and a half years old. She's really talkative. She's energetic. She has some up and down emotions. She has more opinions, very strong, not always reasonable opinions. Basic bodily functions, she can perform. I mean, she's a delight, like truly. But at the end of the day, Millie is not quite sure which end is up, so to speak, and she can do nothing, truly, without Mandy and me. So let me tell you about Grace Fellowship. Grace Fellowship is sweet, cute, talkative, energetic, to be honest, up and down emotions, Um, opinions, I'll leave it at that, (laughs) basic bodily functions, We can kind of do, we can kind of get together and do this, we've learned over the last five years. A delight to my heart, like like truly, but still, and I want you to hear me say this tonight, because this is the main thing I want you to hear tonight. If you don't hear anything else I say on this sort of Grace Birthday Sunday, I want you to hear this, still can do nothing without Jesus. And as we begin kind of a new era in the life of our church, kind of the years five to 10, I want to make sure we all understand that we can do nothing without Jesus. Nothing. And that might seem obvious to you. I mean, of course, you can do nothing without Jesus. I mean, we're a church for crying out loud. But let me just tell you something. Being disconnected to the life of Jesus is so easy. 
It's so easy for you. It's so easy for me. It's so easy for we. And Jesus has this conversation with his disciples about vines and branches because I think he wants them to know that not only is it possible, it's actually pretty likely that you, me, we could kind of live a life individually or corporately disconnected from Christ. So I want to remind you tonight, we can do nothing without Jesus. And I want to do that in two ways. Basically, this is kind of the outline of the sermon in advance so you know where I'm going with this. I want to answer two questions, ready? The first one is, is what? What is Jesus saying? What is he talking about? And then the second question that I want to answer is, so what? Like more specifically, what does that, the thing Jesus is saying to his disciples, mean for you, for me, for grace, fellowship? So first of all, let's ask the question, what? What is Jesus talking about here? What does he mean with this vine and branches metaphor? Okay, first thing, what? Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 15. Jesus speaking, he's with his disciples. He's giving them sort of final instructions before he leaves them. They don't understand what all this means yet, but he understands, and he's trying to prepare them for their life after he leaves. He's trying to prepare them for the mission that he's going to send them on, okay? And he says to them, verse 1, chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He goes on to say that they are branches. What does he mean? Well, there's two layers to this, as is often the case in John's gospel. It's really important to know if you're ever reading John's gospel, there's always like the bottom layer, the bottom level of what John's trying to say, and then there's the upper level, the, the bigger thing. So at the bottom level, if you will, you know, Jesus is using just a normal, everyday agricultural metaphor. There's good reason to think that he has left the upper room and is beginning to walk to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's probably walking through an olive grove or a, a vineyard of some kind. So he's using this everyday agricultural metaphor that would have been very familiar to his disciples. They would have grown up every day seeing people work the vines. They would have been used to seeing fruit ripen on vines, be picked and harvested. They'd have been used to seeing certain branches that weren't producing and perhaps some people of that day kind of staring at the thing and having conversation about why isn't it producing. They'd have been used to seeing certain vines plucked up, thrown away for something else to be planted in their place. They'd be used to seeing dried up shriveled vines being burned, removed, but as is always the case in John's gospel, there's something more. You see, in the Old Testament, Israel, God's people, they're often described as a vine. We get this in an entire thread throughout the prophets. Isaiah talks about this. I just read about vine things from the book of Jeremiah. The Psalms will mention this. And the Lord describes his people, the people of Israel, as a vine that he planted, and he wanted from them fruit. But instead, what was produced instead because of their rebellion, 
because of their idolatry, because of their rejection of him. Instead, it just produced bad fruit, rotten fruit. One place in the prophets, wild grapes that weren't fit. So the Lord had to uproot that vine in order to one day, as was promised, replant it again so that it could be fruitful. And so Jesus, by saying he is the true vine, what he's saying here is that he is called, he's commissioned. It is his holy vocation to be what Israel was supposed to have been. He was going to be faithful and produce fruit for God. He was going to be the replant, if you will. And from him would come out branches, these apostles, these disciples in this conversation, but also you and me that would yield fruit, abundant fruit for the Lord, that would yield abundant life to be enjoyed by God's people again, that would yield people who were redeemed by his grace, people who would worship him truly and rightly in spirit and truth. One day, worshipers from every tongue and tribe and nation would be the fruit that Jesus would produce. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but you and I sit here tonight literally as the fruit of Jesus's faithfulness, in fact, of these apostles who are listening to this conversation, their faithfulness. See, fruitfulness for you and for me, fruitfulness as a family, a community, will depend upon being connected to Jesus' very life, and that's where he will go from here. He's a vine, we are branches, we must be connected to him. But before we get there, let's read on. This is almost a side thought in this text. It's not really the main part, but it grips our attention. Look at verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Almost as an aside, Jesus throws it out there that his branches, you and me, will often be pruned. Like pruning is promised. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt pruned. Mandy and I tried to grow a garden once and we had this bushy tomato plant. Tomatoes, by the way, are technically a vine. Do you know this? Some of you did. And this was a big, bushy tomato plant. It looked beautiful. It was green. It was big. It grew up big, tall, fast. The problem is it didn't grow tomatoes. And I didn't know what to do about that. So I called a friend of mine who had grown up on a farm in Kansas growing wheat, which may have something to do with tomatoes. And I invited him over and I said, Marcus, like, like why will my tomato bush not produce fruit? And he said to me, well, you got to prune it. I said, is this a joke? Are you doing Jesus's thing? Are you, is this a, he's a pastor. I'm like, is this a Jesus joke? So he gets out these little pruning shears and he cuts so much from the plant. I mean, he's cutting off pieces of it everywhere. I'm like, what are you doing? 
But sure enough, in a matter of time, it began to produce fruit. It's just really, really important for you to know that Jesus is actively, conscientiously, purposely trying to snip things off of you. It doesn't always feel good, but it's for your fruitfulness that you could grow and flourish. It's not a punishment ever if you belong to him. And it's really important that you know that Jesus is actively, conscientiously doing this. Because if you don't know that, if you didn't know that, if you don't know to expect that, you'll feel like you've done something wrong, like you've missed some kind of memo and it's not working right. Why is my life this way? But there are things in your life that God has with the specific intent in order to help you grow and flourish. And sometimes those things are difficult. Let's read on. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. Goes on to say that it cannot, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides. I am the vine, you're the branches in verse five. Whoever abides in me. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me. Verse seven, if you abide in me. In my words, abide in you. The idea of abiding is a central theme here. In other words, for any of this to work, for these branches to grow and become fruitful, they must abide. In other words, they must remain and stay connected. It's a strong word, but that's what it means. In other words, it's an active thing. Someone doesn't just wake up and naturally abide in Christ. Our tendency is to do otherwise unless we purposely, thoughtfully decide to cling tight and stay with him. The word literally means to, to remain or to stay. I've got a couple illustrations for you. Right now, we are training our dog. It's not going great, but, but she has learned to stay. And literally, I put her across the kitchen and I say to her, stay. And I walk back, stay. I mean, that's the word, stay. Now, if you don't like dog metaphors, how about kids? I have, I have all these memories of my kids being little bitty and I would put them on like our coffee table. I'd set them on our coffee table when they could sit up straight and I would go to start putting on their shoes and I'd realize, oh, I don't have their socks. And all bets are off once you leave, like once you go to start getting something. I mean, it's just, so I'd set them on the coffee table and I'd just say to them, all right, hey buddy, stay. Like stay there, don't move, stay, stay. That's what the word means. Say so you don't like kids. I got, I got, an illustration from the world of sports. I was recently at a nine-year-old flag football game, and the defensive coordinator of this one team kept just telling his kids, stay there, stay in position, don't give up the edge, just stay. This coach is yelling this insanely. That coach was me. <laughs> but that's what it means. 
day. They will be fruitless unless they stay. Verse four, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. See, if we don't stay, if we don't remain, if we don't abide with Christ, in Christ, we will be fruitless. And even more, we'll be judged. And these words from Jesus are supposed to give us pause. Now, he's not trying to scare them. He said to them in verse three, look, you're already clean because of the word I spoke to you. But what it does mean really practically is that we could run the risk, both you and me and we, of wasting our life because we've chosen to root ourselves, to cling to other things. So that's the what Jesus is saying. Now, let me just turn your attention to you and to me the so what. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for us at Grace Fellowship? You know, people ask me all the time. It's one of the most frequently asked questions when you plant a church. People ask you all the time, hey, what's your vision for Grace Fellowship? And I never know how to answer that. But I think my vision for Grace Fellowship is that we would abide in Jesus together. See, apparently Jesus thought that these disciples that he's speaking to here would have a tendency to drift from him. And I think I notice it in this text because I know it in this disciple of Jesus. Y'all, I'm a pastor, you know this, which means I kind of do Christianity for a living, okay? And I cannot even begin to tell you how easy it is to become disconnected from Christ. I can't even begin to tell you how easy it is to begin to seek other kinds of nourishment, to seek to connect my heart and my soul to other kinds of vines. And I think you and I run the risk of this. I think this is why Jesus is pleading with his disciples and he's pleading by the power of the spirit with you and me. And I don't want us to do that. I don't want to do this. I don't want you to do this. I don't want us to do this. I don't want to have a church that's disconnected from Christ. So I want to just kind of share with you just personally and vulnerably some of the other vines I try to attach myself to. And if this is just for me, I'm okay with that. If you wouldn't be so kind, if you'd be so kind to just listen in. In no particular order, my tendency rather than abiding in Christ 
is often to just be curved in on myself. Y'all, I live the vast majority of my life in this posture, curved in on myself. Part of what it means to abide in Christ is that he sets our gaze not only on him, but he sets our gaze on others around us. I can be so busy just doing my thing, getting through my stuff, checking off my tasks, clicking up my tasks. There's a program called ClickUp, and it's like a productivity tool. I guess you're not into productivity tools. And I can live my life like this rather than clinging to the true vine. Here's another thing. Just the worry and the fear and the anxious toil that goes into, and you've heard me talk about this so many times, just engineering my life in such a way that I avoid the bad thing. Do you know the bad thing I'm talking about? It's probably different for all of us, but there is a bad thing that you and I live our life trying to avoid. But see, the life of faith and the life of clinging to Jesus is filled with risk and the need to trust and to cling to him. Do you guys ever stay up late at night wondering how Grace Fellowship is doing? Well, me either. Where we're gonna worship in six months? How we're gonna handle this thing or that thing, that challenge? So rather than clinging to the vine that is Jesus, I'm caught in this sort of spin of worry and fear and anxiety and engineering things in such a way that nothing bad happens. Here's another thing. Rather than clinging to the vine that is Jesus, I just move so fast. Speed. Have you ever noticed that the pace of grace, not grace fellowship, but God's grace, to put it in the phrase of a pastor I admire, is slow. The work of God's kingdom is hidden The work of God's kingdom is mostly invisible. And if we move so fast, we'll miss it. Here's another thing. Rather than being connected to the vine that is Jesus, what about connecting our hearts and our souls and our passions and our desires to just sinful pleasures? I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling particularly drained and lacking nourishment, if you will, I just know how easy it is to begin to reach for something else to feel something different instead. I wonder if you know what I mean. Have you ever felt in a moment of feeling drained how much pleasure it can supposedly give you to just snap at somebody in anger? Have you ever noticed how common it is for church leadership to just run over people? I have. What about this? What about instead of being connected to the vine that is Jesus, what about just turning to just despair and giving up? Y'all, the life of faith is difficult. And the scriptures teach us that we see dimly sometimes we lack the strength to kind of keep on. It drains us dry. I've got one more. Maybe instead of remaining and staying and clinging to the vine that is Jesus, 
What about the way we just cling to just, just comfort? See, see, suffering is going to come to these disciples. And so often, and maybe I'm speaking to just me, we just don't want the humiliation that comes from following a crucified Lord. Do we? Now, I know this is heavy and challenging, but the hope of this text, the, the, the boundless hope of this passage, that it doesn't have to be this way. You and I don't have to be dead branches. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. In other words, as you and I cling to Christ, he at the same time holds us fast. He goes on to tell his disciples that he will lay down his life for them. He goes on, to tell, goes on to tell his disciples that he will give his spirit to dwell inside of them. In other words, everything that Jesus is requiring here in this text, he promises to be about the work of constantly providing. Everything that he requires, he promises to provide for them. So what if we were to work it backward? Remember me saying how I cling and curve in instead of, to, instead of clinging to Jesus, I curve in on myself. The scriptures teach that there's this fruit of the spirit that comes that allows us to have love for others. What about this worry and fear and anxious toil, trying to engineer my life to avoid the bad thing? The scriptures teach that there's a fruit of his spirit as we cling to him that he gives us called joy and peace in whatever circumstance. What about this idea that I just move so fast and I'm so impatient? Would you believe me if I told you that one of the fruits of his spirit is this precious thing called patience? What about the way I turn to sinful pleasures? The way I'll suddenly snap at somebody in anger to feel better in a moment. One of the fruits of his spirit that he promises is this precious thing called self-control, kindness, gentleness. What about when I'm feeling like I'm going to have to give up, that I don't have the strength? There's a fruit of his spirit he calls faithfulness. In other words, this text makes us imagine. It makes us imagine what it would be like to rather than shriveling up and dying, being those who abide in Jesus and thus enjoy life. Flourishing. Can you imagine what it would be like for you and for me and for we to remain in Jesus and to come more and more alive all the time. Sometimes people ask me about my vision for Grace Fellowship, and all I know to say is that we would abide in Jesus and enjoy the fruit of his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I ask, by the power of your spirit, you would make us into a people who remain in you, who cling to you, who lean on your strength, or who by the power of your spirit enjoy the fruits that you give. 
Or would you help us in these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.